0: Yeah, yesterday, uh, me and Maritza, if you haven't heard yet, got some really good news. Uh, And if you couldn't have been there or you couldn't watch yesterday, there was also something really awesome happening at the exact same time. I'm sorry, we planned our gender reveal at the exact same time as uh, Liz and Nick's um, vow renewal. So I understand a lot of people weren't able to see the gender reveal. So with all that being said, uh, here it is if you want to see how it went down. So uh, the plan was to, we got this little clay pigeon, and we were going to throw it, uh, and I was going to shoot it, and you can kill that video, it went on longer than I thought it would. <laughs> or start it again. Uh, um, yeah, so we had these clay pigeons, and you know, normally, most people, they throw them, uh, and we were doing that, we had some practice ones, and we found out a problem. Uh, I couldn't hit any of them, and so... <laughs> We just set it on the ground, uh, and I shot it from about 10 feet away. Uh, And I didn't miss, so it was awesome. It was really good. So that was our good news yesterday. Um, Our good news is that we're having a girl. But sadly, our good news pales in comparison to God's good news this morning. You see, our good news is that we're having a daughter. You see, God's good news is that he had a son Jesus Christ, who we sent into the world to save sinners. And that's the real good news that we're going to be talking about this morning. See, the good news, what we call the gospel, is that God up in heaven, holy, righteous, and perfect, and great beyond description, sat there in need of nothing and saw us lowly, broken, sinners, people lost, people evil in our own ways, didn't want anything to do with him, instead of every other religion in the world saying, hey, come up to me, be perfect, do good things, so that you can come up here and be with me, so that you can earn your way up to heaven to be with God. God said, no, I'm coming to you. The good news is that he sent his son Jesus to come and live that perfect life that all of us should have lived, but never could have, and he died as a sacrifice in our place, the death that we should have died so that we could have the reward that he had living in heaven with the Father in perfect relationship with him forever. See, the Son of Man, or the Son of God, became a Son of Man so that the sons of men could become sons of God. That's the good news this morning, is that he traded places with us. Christianity, if you, know, if you have to know anything about Christianity this morning, it's this, is Christianity, the message isn't, be a good person, or do better. The message of Christianity is Jesus took your spot. Jesus took your place. And now we just live thankful to him forever. I have to try to explain, I've, I've had to try and explain this to, to friends before who I'm trying to get them to come to Jesus, trying to talk to them about, about giving their life to the Lord. And i what, what I'll tell them is, man, give your life to Jesus. Come to him. And I'll be trying to explain it. And I must not be very good at explaining it because the way that they would respond is, man, I I want to. I know that I should, but it just seems like a whole lot of work. You know, there's just a lot of things in my life that I would have to fix if I want to do that. And in a way, that's true. Jesus calls us to believe the gospel and to repent, but what you have to know is that you don't fix your life and then come to Jesus. You come to Jesus and he saves you. He doesn't come to make bad people better. He doesn't come to make uh, people more well-mannered or well-behaved. He comes to make dead people come to life again. He comes to bring dead people to life. So you give your life to Jesus. You say, Jesus, I can't do it. That's the whole purpose. That's the whole idea of why he had to die. You come and you say, Jesus, I can't, I can't do it, and I'll never be able to do it. I need you to take my place. I believe you. I believe you and what you did for me. I believe in your sacrifice, and I believe it's enough for me. That's it. That's the beautiful thing about Christianity. That's the beautiful thing about the cross. The last thing Jesus said is, Tetelestai. It is finished. It is finished. What he means by that is, there's nothing left for us to do. The only thing that was required, was the perfect sacrifice, of the blood of the son of God. It's not, Okay, I'm going to, you have to believe in Jesus and do blank. It's not, you have to believe in Jesus and believe, but also believe X, Y, Z. It's just faith in Jesus alone saves us. If you're here this morning and you've never believed that message, that Jesus is the Son of God and he came to save you, By taking your place on the cross. And then rising three days later so that you could also rise with him. Jesus said, whoever believes in me will never die. That's the good news this morning, y'all. I'm really happy I'm having a girl, but it just pales in comparison to that. Today we are uh, talking about uh, a vision for evangelism. We've been talking about uh, the vision for our church, uh, our new vision, Um, and just talking about worship and talking about, we're going to be talking about spiritual gifts and just talking about all these things that just Irving Church wants to be. Irving Church wants the way that we want to be a church and see the kingdom come. And so today we're going to be talking about evangelism. We're going to be talking about how do we want to communicate that good news to the world because good news has to be shared. I was very frustrated uh, when uh, me and Maritza first found out we were pregnant a few months ago. Uh, she was like, hey, we're pregnant. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. I can't wait to tell my friends. And she goes, okay, but you have to wait till after the first trimester. And I was like, how long is that? (laughs) And she goes, about 13 weeks. And I'm like, how long is that? I don't understand. Normally, if anything's over four weeks, we talk about it in months, but then a baby gets involved, and then we're like, oh yeah, he'll be here in 487 weeks. And we're like, I start doing a lot of math. Uh, But anyway, so she said, you got to wait 13 weeks and however many. We did the math, sat down and figured out how many months that was. But guess how many weeks it took Maritza to tell her two closest friends? One day. And so, okay, I'm like, all right, we changed the rule. Okay, we're telling our friends now. She goes, no, I'm telling my friends. So I'm sorry, y'all found out like a few weeks ago. But good news has to be shared, and when you don't share it, it just it's inside of you, and you just it just has to get out. You really want to tell people if you really know it to be true and it's good. And so, and Jesus, whenever is the last thing he told his disciples before he ascended was go basically go share this good news. He said go into all the he said go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them everything that I've commanded you. So, the disciples did a really good job of this. Uh, If you go and look in the book of Acts, they got to work right away. I just want to look and see and show you just how important the gospel, sharing the gospel was to these disciples. I'm just going to kind of fire these off here. Peter, right away, preached about the risen Christ to God-fearing Jews under every nation of heaven. He then preached to the crowd outside the temple after healing the lame beggar. After he being miraculously freed from prison, the apostles preached about the new life to people in the temple courts and were flogged for it. Yet, it says day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Get a load of this. Uh, in addition to the twelve apostles, there was one who was untimely born we call Paul, or everybody calls Paul, because that was his name. Um, says uh, the twelve are not the only ones in the book of Acts charged with preaching the good news of the Messiah. After encountering the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, it says at once Paul began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. From there on out the gospel becomes the central focus of Luke's account, specifically the gospel uh, that Paul preached. Paul preached the good news in Damascus, Jerusalem, Cyprus, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra and Derbe, Perga, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth, Ephesus, Judea, Rome, and he shared the gospel in synagogues, in the city, in the country in the riverbanks, the Areopagus, in houses, in prison, in court and under house arrest. And he evangelizes to Jews, Gentiles, pagans, business people, jailers, philosophers, governors and kings. That's a lot of people and places where and to whom he shared the gospel with. This was everything. They took that command seriously to share the gospel. Well, Paul and the apostles are gone. But I'm pretty sure that everybody here would agree that the mission is still the same for the church. We have the answer. In Acts chapter 4, it says, I'm not going to read it, I'm just going to quote it, but it says, "There there is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. You know what that means, right? That means that nobody else has the answer, only us. That's a... That's a really arrogant statement to make in the world today. But Jesus is the only way. That means that we (laughs) have to share that. We have to be the one. If we don't tell them, who will? It's only the church of Jesus Christ that will bring salvation to the world. Salvation being the good news about Jesus. And so the question becomes, how are we going to do it? There are a lot of different strategies. A lot of different ways that... A lot of different churches think that we should do evangelism and I'm going to start by saying this is anytime that the good news of Jesus is spoken it is a win. It's a victory. We're not going to agree with the way that everybody does evangelism as you're about to see but I just want to go ahead and say that as we're saying that all these models are not the preferred here at this church. Anytime that somebody says that Jesus is Lord and he's the Savior, we're happy about that. Okay. Now we got that out of the way. The first model, uh, and we've talked about this a little bit over the past few weeks, is um, a, ch- a model that says that evangelism is dependent upon churches. Call it We just call it uh, church-dependent evangelism. That, and what we mean by that is Sunday morning here in this place that we're at right now, that is where we're going to preach the gospel. That is, that's what Sunday morning is for, is we're here to make sure that people hear the good news about Jesus Christ. Now, on the surface, that sounds good, but if you listened to Luke's messages over the past couple of weeks, it's actually not, if you read the Bible, it's not what Sunday morning is about. It's not what the assembly is about. The assembly, Sunday morning, is supposed to be about the edification of the body, building up the people who are there, building up the believers. We come, and we're here to drink of the blood of the Lamb and eat of His body, and we're here to be built up, uh, and as the, as the Apostle Paul says from uh, from all the different spiritual gifts that we all bring to the table. So Sunday morning is for the building up of the body. It's not primarily for uh, getting people in the door and getting them to hear the gospel. You know, this model, it kind of functions off, and what ends up happening is we kind of make church all about the unbelievers, and, and Luke talked about this, so I'm not trying to talk about it too much, but basically, I've seen this before. It's like, so your job as a Christian is basically in this model, hey, go invite your neighbor and say, hey, neighbor, uh, come to my church on Sunday. Every first-time guest gets to put their name in a hat uh, for a raffle for uh, Cowboys tickets. So come to my church. And what ends up happening is we kind of just tailor everything to the unbelievers coming in, and so we get rid of all the, thing, the weird things that freak them out. Well, no, we're not going to talk about eating Jesus, so we're not going to do communion. We're going to get that out of here. Uh, we're not going to have anybody speaking in tongues because that's really crazy and, nobody, and that would scare away some people and we're going to keep the sermons to 15 minutes. So nobody gets bored. Don't get your hopes out. That's not happening today. <laughs> but you see what I'm getting at. The focus becomes let's get these people in and let's get them to hear the gospel and, so, and hear me. The heart behind that is good but it's just not God's strategy. That's not what he eva- imagined the church to be. Imagine the church to be a place where we come here and we observe mysterious things about the Lord and we experience him and the power of his spirit and we're not primarily worried about freaking people out. Go and read the Bible. God does weird things a lot of times. So we can't be afraid of being a little weird sometimes. Sorry, I'm not advocating being weird for the sake of being weird, but it doesn't need to be said. So I don't. we don't necessarily... We don't want to be that kind of model here at Irving Church. The other model is the people-dependent model. We're dependent upon people, Christians, to get the, get the message of Jesus out, the message of the gospel. And this one is basically saying, no, 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 we're not. We understand that Sunday morning is not primarily about preaching the gospel and uh, getting unbelievers into the door and trying to get them saved. We think that's your job. It's your job to go out to your workplace and to your family and to the public and the grocery stores, and it's your job to tell at least one person about Jesus every single day. Does this model sound familiar? A lot of us believe this. I believe this for a long time. But the interesting thing the New Testament doesn't really teach that. See, I did a paper for school a little bit uh, a little bit ago as my final paper to get up, and get done, uh, and get out of there. Um, and I had to do for this final paper, I had to go through and count every single command in the New Testament from Romans to Revelation and uh, categorize it. So Paul said, "Hey, love one another." All right, we're gonna throw that in the love category. Be unified. Throw that in the unity category. Do good works. Throw that in the good works category, and. There were, in my evangelism category of anything, anything in here would, would be like, uh, you know, go tell somebody about Jesus. Or, you know, uh, share the gospel with somebody. You know how many commands were in that category? Zero. There are zero commands in the New Testament given by an apostle to churches or a New Testament author to churches for a normal believer to share the gospel with somebody. To tell somebody about Jesus. There, there's one where Paul says to Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. But Timothy doesn't fit that category of normal, average Christian. Does that strike any of y'all? That struck me, and it worried me a little bit. Because I'm like, I thought the gospel was insanely important. I thought it was the most important thing. And it is. Paul says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Every time Paul, you know, every time that Paul describes himself in the Bible, it always, the word gospel is in there somewhere about preaching the gospel, almost without exception. He saw that his life was directly tied to preaching the gospel. His life was about telling people about Jesus and making sure everybody knows what Jesus has done for you on the cross. And so it's very weird to see him turn around to say Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. My life is all about preaching the gospel. It's all about preaching the gospel for me. And not once does he ever say, so you preach the gospel too. That is so, so strange. And so, what's the disconnect? And here is what I think is the problem. Is that we have had, we have sorely misunderstood the concept of spiritual gifts. I think a lot of us have kind of come under the impression in our lives that basically for the most part Christians all do about the same thing. You read your Bible, you go to church, you pray, you tithe, and that's about it. Like everybody is pretty much called to do that same thing. And tell some tell one person about Jesus every day. But the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that this that Christianity, the body of Christ, is a body and that each of us has a different role. Each of us has a different function. And what I'm trying to say this morning is that not everybody here is an evangelist. There were, there are evangelists. You find this guy, um, stick with me, this is going to get good eventually. Um, Right now I feel daggers. Um, In Acts chapter 8, we meet a guy named Philip. Philip is the only person in the Bible who, is, who has the official title evangelist. I don't think he's the only evangelist, but he's the only one that gets called an evangelist. If you go to Acts chapter 8, it's like the one chapter that's about Philip, and you see the only thing he does is go and preach the gospel. He's in Samaria, and it says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria, proclaimed the Messiah there. And then, later on it says, uh, they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom uh, and the name of Jesus Christ. And you go down, and the famous Ethiopian eunuch says, Philip began with the very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Then you go down, this is kind of like wrapping up Philip's life, and they say, Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until, reached, until he reached Caesarea. This guy is like Paul. He is all about preaching the gospel. That is his life. That's who he is. He is preaching the gospel, and guess what? He's really good at it. People are believing him, and people are coming to Christ because of the work that he's doing. And here is my, here is my guess. The reason that I think that Paul and the apostles never command regular Christians to share the gospel is that because they had people who were gifted to do that, and their life was wrapped up in it, and they were good enough at it that they didn't need our help. But that kind of understanding of the spiritual gifts is very foreign to us. That we would put that much hope and that much faith in one person to do their job so well that it would not really require us to help them out so much. Now hear me out. I'm not saying don't tell people about Jesus. Like we said earlier, anytime that somebody brings up the name of Jesus to someone, it's a win. Unless you're using it in a bad way. uh, Using it in vain. That's not good. But... Anytime that we try to share the gospel with somebody, it's a good thing. But here's the deal. I don't think the apostle saw the most effective way to share the gospel being everybody just do their tiny little part and share the gospel with one person every day and hopefully that'll be enough. I don't think that was it. He saw normal Christians, the body of Christ, participating in different ways and possibly, I'll even say, in more effective ways than just going and telling somebody, hey, Jesus loves you. Which I'm also advocating that. I have a t-shirt that says Jesus loves you. It's my favorite shirt. But I'm saying that that is not the primary. We've made that the primary way that we think the gospel is going to be spread. And I don't think that that's what the New Testament said. So what does the New Testament say? What are you supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? Well, for one, I think we need to find our evangelists. I think there are more evangelists in our midst than we are aware of. But we haven't sought them out because we thought it was everybody's job to share the gospel. And I think we need to ask the Lord to reveal those people and to gift them. So what's my job if I'm not an evangelist? If I'm not gifted to be Philip or Paul or Peter? I'm glad you asked. Uh, Let me see. I think I got some, some of these slides now. Um. One of the things that's super interesting is the Apostle Paul and all the apostles, I've said this a hundred times, they never command anybody to share the gospel. But did you know that every single one of Paul's churches, except for Galatia, Paul tells them to do one thing, pray. All of them are commanded to pray. You see, and a lot of times these prayers were supposed to be geared towards the gospel. Paul was telling them to participate in the gospel with me by praying. He said, "Brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you." He said, "Pray also for me that whenever I speak words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should." So devote yourselves to prayer, to prayer. Being watchful and thankful and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Have you ever prayed that God would open a door for the gospel? You see, our temptation, I think, whenever Paul tells us to pray and he's like, hey, I'm out here sharing the gospel, I'm out here preaching, Uh, you guys... How can oh? How can you help? Great question. Oh, uh, oh gosh, I have enough money. Don't need that. You can you can pray. How about you pray? You know what? You guys just stay home, pray, and we'll the big boys will go out here and we'll preach the gospel. Kind of have like the idea of you know you're, you're, the dad's going out to mow the lawn and the four year old walks up and like Dad, can I help? <laughs> you can't hand him a weed whacker just yet. Probably wait till he's five. But uh, you're like, okay, and so that's whenever you get the really adorable Facebook post of dad mowing the lawn, and right behind him, the four-year-old's got his little lawnmower, and there's like bubbles coming out as he's walking. And we just give him something to do so he feels like he's doing something, but he's really not doing anything. And we think that's how Paul is talking about with prayer. Paul was not just giving people something that just something to occupy themselves, so that they would leave him alone and let him do the real work. You see, Paul, he said, pray for me. Oftentimes he, had, he told them to pray for his deliverance and pray for his safety as he's preaching the gospel. I have no doubt in my mind that he was remembering his friend Peter who, whenever he was stuck in prison, an angel came in and took him out the day before he was supposed to be beheaded. Do you know why that happened? It said in Acts 12, 5, it happened because the church was earnestly praying for him. There's no doubt in my mind that Paul saw the prayers that he was asking for from the people to be effective. He thought it was actually going to accomplish something. It was going to do something. And I think that we have to believe that we will pray for the gospel and that something's going to happen. You see, ever since I I found these passages and just done this study and stuff, something that I've been praying every day is that, God, would you open the door for the gospel here in Irving? Would you open the door for the gospel in our schools? Would you open the door for the gospel in City Hall? Would you open the door for the gospel in our businesses? Would you pray that with me? Can we pray that together? So one of the ways that we're supposed to participate in the gospel is through prayer. The other thing, I'll keep this one short, is... We're supposed to participate in the gospel by supporting those who preach the gospel. If you're not gifted to be an evangelist, you're not just supposed to say, well, I'm just going to sit here and watch. You can become a co-laborer with the evangelist. And I believe in the New Testament, it teaches that we are supposed to help those who have given their lives to preaching the gospel. Paul said, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. Talking money, people. People. And this is why I'm really excited about um, you know, how the church has made the decision to support Shivraj and Anita uh, as they are going back to India and they are risking their lives to share the gospel there. So another way is supporting. Finally, and this is the most important way, I believe. If you go to Philippians 1.27, the Bible says, You see, the apostles never say, hey, uh, go preach the gospel. You, go preach the gospel. But this is what they do say about us and our lives related to the gospel. Philippians one twenty seven. he says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. He never says, go share the gospel with one person every day. But he says, your life needs to validate that gospel. I think one of the biggest stumbling blocks and the biggest barriers for a lot of people coming to Christ is that not because they haven't heard the gospel, they just haven't seen the gospel. The gospel is, that word is trash. Jesus, the word is, that word is trash to them because they've seen people who say, I'm a Christian. They see people who tell them about Jesus maybe but they don't live like Jesus. They don't live in a way that's worthy of the gospel. You know, I, used, I saw a meme. Uh, older people, do you know what a meme is? Uh, <laughs> a meme is an internet joke uh, with words on it. Basically, pictures with words. Um, yeah, so I saw a meme, and there's a skeleton sitting on a bench, and, um, and it says, Waiting for somebody to ask me about Jesus because of the way that I live my life. And it's making fun of the idea that, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, well, I'm not going to tell anybody about Jesus. I'm just going to kind of try to be good, and, you know, hopefully they'll ask me ask me about Jesus. And I understand why they want to make fun of that. It's because most of the time that's just a cop-out because you don't want to be brave and tell somebody about Jesus. So I understand that. But the funny thing is as I've studied more and looked more, you know, into this and just tried to get to the bottom of it, it seems like that's actually a good strategy, and that's actually like the Bible strategy. Uh, if you'll go with me to 1 Peter 3, Peter has in mind a situation where a wife has an unbelieving husband, and he's about to tell her how, he's gonna, how she's going to win him to the Lord. You may be surprised at what he says. First Peter 3, 1 Peter 3.1 says, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and the reverence of your lives. Do you see that? There are not many places in the Bible that describe how to get somebody saved, but this is one of them. And it says that it would be done without words. looking at the purity and the reverence of a person's life and saying, now that's convincing. I want that. And just a few verses later, he goes down and he says, and not just talking to anybody, he said, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. When's the last time that somebody asked you, why do you have such hope? I would propose that that's actually supposed to happen. I propose that our lives are supposed to be lived in such a way that we should be so massively different from other people that it causes them to inquire about what the difference is. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, You are the light of the world. And he said... Let your good deeds shine before men so that they may praise your Father in heaven. I think that's pretty amazing. That the things that I do could literally be the cause for somebody to praise Jesus, to give their life to God just because of something that I did. We say, no, you know, it's not you who did it, it's God. Yeah, but He said, my deeds, the things that I'm doing. I don't think the problem is that we don't tell people enough about Jesus. I think the problem is that we are not as insanely different from everybody else around us as we should be. There is a place, Jesus is telling us, there is a place in Christ where you are such a good, beautiful, powerful, sweet person. That it is totally obvious to everybody around you. And it's enough to actually lead them to Christ. I want to read just one more passage. Did I ever say one more already? Okay, I probably did. It's a lie. I'm a liar. This is the last this is the last sticky note that I have, so this should be, I promise, the last one. Um, here's the deal. Is Paul, he never tells us to specifically, hey, go tell somebody with your mouth about Jesus. But this is what he does say in 1 Corinthians ten thirty-one: So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Even as I, listen, this is what, this is Paul's strategy. This is how he views his life and views the world. He says, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. This is what Paul is saying. He said, this is the way I live my life. You want to know how I wake up every day? You want to know the mindset that I get out of bed with? Is how am I going to live so that other people see Jesus? How am I going to live so that other people get saved? That is how Paul thought. He said, not for my good, but for the good of everybody else so that they might be saved. And what he says right after that in the very next verse is, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Does it ever cross your mind? That the people around you don't know Jesus. And they might be dying. Going to hell. That should cross your mind. I'm not talking about. Tell one, one more person about Jesus every day. Or even. I don't care what you do. Yeah go tell somebody about Jesus every day. Go live differently. Be righteous. Walk in step with the spirit. So that you are full of joy and peace. And hope. So the people ask you, but what I'm saying is do something. Look like Jesus. Think as you go to work. Think as you're around your family. How do I live right now for the good of many so that they might be saved? That's evangelism. That's sharing the gospel. We have the answer. If any of you today has heard Whew, I'm off the hook. I don't have to tell anybody about Jesus anymore. <laughs> you have not heard me correctly, and I think what I would say to you is, you probably do need to go tell somebody about Jesus, if that's where your heart is at. And I'm also saying, we're also led by the Holy Spirit, and oftentimes the Holy Spirit likes to tell people about Jesus, and so He probably will lead you to tell him, tell people about Jesus. And so in that moment, be bold and do it. But I'm just what the whole thing today is. I want to take away our mind, of, our mind away from the way that I share the Gospels. Tell somebody about Jesus every day. And take your mind a little bit, maybe more towards the way that God really wants to share the Gospel. is by communicating to you that your prayers are powerful. And the prayers of our church, if we come together and pray together for the Gospel, it'll be effective. And what I want you to take away from today is that Your money can make a difference in your support and you can actually be a part of co-laboring with people who are preaching the gospel and sharing the gospel in the world. What I want you to take away is that your life matters and the way that you live can actually be more effective than the things that you say in bringing people to Christ. My hope is that we'll leave today more excited about sharing the gospel than ever and more confident in God's spirit to do that in us. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for letting us be a part of your great news, Lord Jesus. I pray, God, that you would help us all to find our place in this great ministry of evangelism and sharing the gospel. I pray that you would fill our hearts with fire and with passion, Jesus, that we would have the same mind as as Paul. That, God, we would live for the good of others, that they might be saved, Lord Jesus. God, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray.